Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this Sunday, we are beginning a new sermon series titled Different. Now, it works in a couple different ways. The church is called to be different in the life of the world, and also those who f- themselves feel different are called to be a part of the church. And so we'll be looking at this over these next five weeks. As we prepare to do so today, please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Your gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, and perhaps even in spite of me, And so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I've got an important question to ask you, and and not everyone may get this cultural reference, but I hope that the majority of you do. Do you, when you think about the family that you're a part of, when you think about your family, Do you feel more like the Adams Family or the Brady Bunch? (laughs) Do you feel more like the Adams Family or the Brady Bunch? Uh, Do you feel like the Brady Bunch? I mean, you know, it's it's a lovely blended family, but it's usually kind of gee golly, everything's uh, going uh, their way with just a little little mishaps here and there. Do you do you feel like that, or do you feel like the Adams Family? Do you feel well different? The um, original writer of the Adams Family uh, cartoon, his last name indeed was Adams. This was around uh, 1900. Uh, so he wrote this as a as a critique, and then as the it becomes a sitcom. This cartoon becomes a sitcom. Uh, it begins to critique at that point the norms of 50s family life, 50s middle-class family life. And so the creators of the sitcom were using um, the grotesque uh, to socially critique these 50s norms that were being overlaid on everybody, regardless of culture and class. And in that kind of overlay and that insistence that it must be that way and perhaps a more modern insistence that we must return to it is in itself a kind of grotesque practice. And so these Adams family folks were just, they were different. They were different in so many ways. But episode after episode after episode, you'd find that their, their values, who they were, what they believed in, how they cared for one another, uh, how they were good neighbors, in all those ways, they were in some way better than, more virtuous than these people that looked like they had everything together. Um, and so there's this question, so who, which family do you want to be like? The, the Adams family, they look like misfits, they look different in a lot of ways, uh, but they're so virtuous. Or like these other folks that are the true troublemakers of the series. So, which family do you 
feel like. I, I would suggest that in a certain kind of way, when we look at the early Christian church and we look at the Christian movement, this idea of being a little bit different often made us look more like the Adams family. It's the story of the early church where there is so much persecution because of the ways that Christians sought to live their lives, the ways that Christians sought to love and care for one another in the midst of Christian community and to love and care for the world, people would say, gosh, they are just different. You know, you're living in a nice neighborhood, you've got a lovely cul-de-sac, and then right there on the end, the Christians move in and just seem to mess everything up. And you start talking to your neighbors, you see some, well, some Christians are, are moving in. Do you know what they do? Do you know how they live? Christians were just thought to be different. And that difference was compelling in the midst of the world. Well, we see uh, some of this difference in our gospel lesson today. We see something that strikes us as not being very normal. Jesus is there, sees some folks who were uh, fishermen, Simon, who ends up being called Peter, and uh, the sons of Zebedee out there. And they're really, they're not having uh, any luck that day uh, catching fish. And Jesus says, well, you know, go out a little bit further and, uh, and throw your nets out uh, again. And Peter says, all right, teacher, look, I don't mean to be rude here, but it's been a long day. And uh, we're kind of tired, and we've tried, and I'm telling you, we ain't catching no fish. Uh, but I want to be respectful, so we'll go ahead and do it. And then their nets are so full, they've gotta, he's got to get back up. And so all the, the fishermen, and they're trying to pull in the fish. There's so many fish that the boat almost sinks. And then this surprising thing happens. These folks decide to just leave everything and follow Jesus. It, it, we, we don't quite understand why. Uh, imagine that happening in, in any place of work that you've ever been in. I would say school, but some of y'all think, who are students think, look, if somebody comes in the class and says, hey, let's go, I just might go. So let's just stick with uh, the rest of the workforce. So someone comes in, and uh, this compelling um, teacher uh, of the faith, and uh, you're doing your work, and he, he says, hey, why don't you, tr why don't you try this? Uh, get on a computer and, and do this, and I, you just might get a different outcome. Or, hey, you're, you're working uh, there on... Um, uh, trying to have uh, uh, engage this market. If you if you just thought about doing that, well, maybe that would work. Or hey, uh, I know you're about to go and do this lecture, but won't you just won't you just try the content this way? I think the students are really going to be responsive. And then you you do whatever it is, and it seems to to work. And then that teacher says, "All right, leave your job. We're going on the road together." Some of y'all think, well, that's just, that's weird, right? That is not normal. And then you go home and you talk to uh, your family, uh, your spouse or your parents or whoever it is, uh, uh, and, and you say your, your, your roommate that you, you know, share the rent with, and you say, okay, so 
I had a great day at work. It was really amazing. One of my best days that I can think of in recent memory. And they say, wow, that's, that's good. That's great. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you must be getting a, a promotion or something. This is just wonderful. You say, no, 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 I'm going to leave it. I'm leaving it. I'm going on the road. There's this Christian uh, teacher, and I'm just going to hang out uh, with him as he goes around uh, preaching, and I'm going to just, I'm going to do that. And what might that roommate who's sharing the rent, um, what might uh, that uh, parent who thinks, well, you're, you're you know, about to go off uh, to college, what might um, that spouse who's thinking, okay, we got a mortgage, I mean, what might they think if you'd say that kind of thing? They are going to at least say that's not normal. I'm not going to go into what they might actually say. This is church. Um, it's... It's not, it's just not normal. Uh, someone looking uh, at the passage and thinking about Peter. So we, as we read the Gospels, we are um, not clear whether all the disciples are married or not married, that kind of thing. Uh, we don't, we're not sure of their family configurations. But we are sure that Peter was at least, at some point, uh, married. Uh, we don't know all the details, but we've learned in, in Matthew 18 that his mother-in-law is sick. So they go home and Jesus uh, heals his mother-in-law. And so someone once jokingly said, well, uh, what we know about Simon, who's called Peter, is that he lived with his mother-in-law. So maybe when Jesus said, let's go, he thought, hmm. Um, <laughs> You should not have laughed at that. That is not good. You, I'm going to pray for you. you love your in-laws. They're awesome. Um, so we, we just don't, we don't know exactly what was going on. It seems abrupt to us. It seems not normal that Peter would make such a drastic decision that the sons of Zebedee and indeed all of the disciples who follow Jesus, it seems like a, a drastic kind of a change. And what I often remind people is that we, we don't know what work the Spirit was doing in the lives of each of these disciples before that moment. That call might have seemed not only clear and compelling, but right when Jesus uh, offered the call. I remember um, years and years ago when I felt the call to ministry. Now, it happened early for me. I was in high school, uh, but I thought of uh, going to college and doing something uh, different as a, as, a, as a career. But I was, uh, some of you have heard this story, I was asked to uh, preach a youth Sunday sermon. It was me and the pastor's son. We were going to half up the sermon and preach it on that youth Sunday, and I had weeks to prepare for it. And, I, and in that preparation time, I'd not vocalized to anyone that I was beginning to feel anything like a call to ministry. But then after the service in the receiving line at the back of the church, um, uh, a dear, sweet um, uh, senior in the, uh, citizen in the life of the church, she, uh, she took my arm and she uh, complimented uh, the sermon and said, you should be a preacher when you grow up. And I said instantly, 
Yes, ma'am, that's what I'm going to do. I never said it aloud to anyone, not even fully to myself. But when she said it, it was almost like Jesus saying, come follow me. There's this moment of crystal clear clarity where I thought, this is exactly what I want to do with the rest of my life. So then that afternoon, I told my parents, and you know, well, I'm here today. So, so you just never know what was going on in Peter's life or in the life of any of the other disciples when Jesus said, come follow me. It's something that deeply resonated in their spirits, in their souls, where they knew this is exactly the right thing to do. I hope that there's that moment of clarity for all of us. Following Jesus doesn't just mean uh, being a, a pastor or a children's director or a youth director or a choir director or working in the church office. There are so many ways that Jesus calls each of us to follow. And sometimes we'd say, well, gosh, you know, that, that following to others might not seem normal, but to me seems exactly the thing that I should be doing. When we look at the, the life of the early church, there are several areas that we could look at and say the church was, was thought not to be normal in these areas, but the ways that the church wasn't normal was compelling to people on the outside looking in. That's, we'll just name and talk about a few of those here this morning. One was the church's focus around forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, forgiveness and making peace in between different groups and then peace between people and, and God. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Gosh, we can just look around us and find that forgiveness seems to be uh, a rarer and rarer uh, commodity. Uh, when someone has offended us um, in the broader culture, we say, gosh, no, no, don't just, don't just rush to forgiveness. Don't make it easy on them. They got to work for your forgiveness. They need to earn your forgiveness. Don't let them off easy. Reconciliation, when, when there, there's differences between two groups, often we amplify the difference rather than reconciling the difference. We increase the divide rather than closing the divide. But the, the church has been known historically, and certainly in the life of the early church, and, and I think when our witness is the most profound, we do exactly those things. We teach the world how to forgive. We teach the world how to reconcile by demonstrating those things. It's, it's not just that we, we say it's a good thing to do, but we demonstrate in our very lives what it means to be a people whose lives are patterned after forgiveness and patterned after reconciliation. When we look at this early church, another thing that, that really stands out as the church moves 
from this smaller group of people in Jerusalem and Judea, but it moves into the very corners of the world. And so the church becomes very good at being culturally adaptive and multiracial. The church becomes very good at it. It's this Pentecost moment and beyond, being very good at being culturally adaptive and and multiracial, and, and creating reconciliation um, in between uh, racial groups. Well, somewhere along the line, in certain places and in certain countries and certain contexts, we have just forgotten how to do that. But the church is insistent upon that, and not just in the life of, of worship, and how church people relate to others in society. We are, we are good at breaking down those kinds of walls and, and cultural barriers and, and developing friendships and relationships and, and co-working situations, which at a certain time begins to affect the life of every worshiping community again. Uh, the church historically has known how to do that, and I believe that part, each of these things that I named today are things that we must recover as a church, not just a local church, but a, a Christian church more broadly speaking in our culture. Another thing the church uh, is uh, good at, the church is good at uh, its hospitality and care for the poor and the suffering. You guys know that. The church has always been great in its hospitality, its care for the poor and the suffering. You see, the temptation might be to retreat from the poor and the suffering. Wow, that's, that's really a hard situation there. Things are really getting rough over there. I kind of want to locate myself over here where it's, it's easier. So, and you could think about suffering in a variety of ways. I, I heard uh, someone say, and I and offered a little gentle critique. I heard someone say recently, I just, I got to find, and they're not a member of the church, so don't worry. You don't have to look around the room to see who it was. Uh, they said, look, I just got to find a way to move to a place uh, where the politics are more consistent with mine so I don't have to think about any of these tensions. I said, well, that's, that could, that's something you could do. I said, I just don't know if that's necessarily a very Christian thing to do. They were a little bit offended at first, but we were friends, so they heard me out. I said, look, Christians are typically good at leaning in and saying, look, if there's a, if there's a challenge here, if there's something that needs to be worked on, if there is some kind of suffering, we don't move away and get away. We kind of lean in and say, all right, I'm going to journey with those who are suffering until their suffering is alleviated, no matter what that means. We're good at leaning in rather than retreating. And, and the outside looking in to the church would say, gosh, that's just, that's just not, that's not normal. The church has also greatly cared for, for life in, in all the ways we think about life. In human life from cradle to grave, the rest of the, the life of the world, 
the Christian church has, has cared for. This, this history of faith that we have in, in the Jewish tradition and in the Christian tradition helps us to care for life. Now, Christians, historically, have never been afraid of, of dying for what we believe in. We, we stand up and we take the, the consequences. But that doesn't mean that we don't value life. It means that we deeply value life. And we stand up for life in all ways. And so this is not, again, uh, what we, the, the ways that we typically talk about this when we kind of limit it to this, like, this pro-life and pro-choice conversations. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that the church has cared for life in all the ways that we see it and felt that it's, it's part of our, our work in the world to care for and, and make sure that everyone's life and everything's life is as good as it can be. And sometimes the way we've done that has made the outside looking in saying, gosh, that's just, that's, that's not normal. The church has also um, been a, a, a countercultural um, related to our sexual ethics. And again, don't get locked in to the ways that we talk about these ethics today and, and, and the our political arguing points uh, here and there. No, no, what I mean is to say that Christians have carried this holy reverential understanding to sexuality. And so we've always said, hey, don't treat it casually. Treat it like something beautiful that God has created. Uh, between two people. And like anything that's beautiful that God has created, it can either uh, be lifted up and treated as something that's beautiful, or it can be treated casually, and we can take, and we can take advantage of it. And so in our ethics, we've typically said, treat it like it's very special. This is a way that God has created to, to connect people and to tie hearts uh, together. It is a beautiful thing. So treat it as if it is holy and good. Don't abuse it. Treat it as if it's holy and good. And sometimes in different cultures and different norms across the centuries, people have said, golly, that is, that's just, that's different. Um, that is, that's not the norm that we understand. But as we think about all of these areas, across history, the history of the church. When the church has made its witness distinct and very connected with the scriptural witness, people have not only said, that's not normal, but they said, that's not normal, and it's so good, I kind of want to be a part of it. I feel that this is so special the way these Christians are doing this, the way that they're caring for one another, the, the way that they are um, an embodied witness in the world, that is moving to me, and I kind of want to be a part of it. And, and one day, when they hear that voice uh, of Jesus in their own ears saying, come and follow me, they go, yeah, I, absolutely. I am all in because of what I've seen this Christian people do. And so here is my, uh, my challenge uh, to, to each of us 
uh, as we move into this sermon series. It's really, it's, and it's, it's, a, it's a question, it's an examination to think about how God might be calling you to be different. And ask that question, God, how are you calling me to be different? How are you calling me to live a life that is not normal, but it's deeply consistent with the Christian life and witness? God, how are you calling me to do that? Uh, and then, and then additionally, to ask God to help you not be afraid when you locate that. Uh, now, if I had more time, I could talk about the, the various ways I, as, a, as a youth and in, in college and then, you know, beyond where I thought in various places and various settings, this, this is just a way to be a little bit different that's consistent with the, the gospel uh, but might make people think, hey, you know, I wonder what's going on with, uh, with this dude. And I wonder why he, he does that. And, and even that question can be a powerful question as someone is thinking about their own faith journey. To look at you and go, why? Why in the world would he do that? Why in the world would she do that? Why in the world would they do that? What's going on? That they would live in that way. What's going on inside them? What's going on in the life of their community? So ask God, God, how are you calling me to be different? How are you calling me not to be normal? Um, and additionally, Lord, help me when I, when I hear that word, when I hear that sense of call, not to be afraid. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you, and we hope to see you soon.